I have told you many stories I know about my dear friend Nancy from seminary. Nancy was a lawyer who went on to become a judge in Austin and ultimately decided to go to seminary. So one January day, she asked me out for lunch. Now this was nothing unusual. We ate together all the time. But this day, Nancy had something that weighed heavily on her mind. Growing up, she had spent many summers with cousins who lived in a small town in Oklahoma. But after her father's death, things had changed, and she rarely saw this side of the family. In fact, they had fallen out of touch completely. All of this family had moved, and since this was before Facebook had become ubiquitous, Nancy didn't even know how to begin to find them. On this particular day, the grief that she felt was stronger than usual. So we sat together and we talked about losses, about grief, and about the always difficult to understand family dynamics. Toward the end of lunch, I turned to a topic of conversation that had come up before, but this time I was more adamant than I had been previously. See, Nancy was going to spend our January term at a contemplative prayer retreat at Camp Mitchell. And for some reason, I had gotten it into my mind that while Nancy was in Arkansas, she just had to meet my friend Carolyn from Russellville. Nancy and Carolyn didn't know each other, and I had no reason for them to meet except some nagging feeling I had that they should know each other. After all, I loved them both. So I convinced Nancy to meet this good Arkansan friend of mine, and I convinced Carolyn to drive all the way up to Camp Mitchell to meet Nancy. And what was strange is that this was not the kind of thing that I typically did. Well, the time came, and Nancy and Carolyn actually went through with this blind meeting. Later they told me it was mainly to placate me. And the most amazing thing happened. When Nancy got into Carolyn's car... Each thought that the other looked familiar. They had both changed their names when they had gotten married, so neither one of them recognized the other's name. When they began to talk, though, they realized that they had known each other far longer than I had been friends with either one of them. In fact, Carolyn's best friend growing up was one of those cousins of Nancy's. And Carolyn had been there all those summers that Nancy spent at her cousin's farm. And Carolyn was still in touch with Nancy's cousins. She knew their addresses, she knew where they lived, she knew their phone numbers. As it turned out, those seemingly unrelated topics of conversation that day over lunch had been more closely related than we could have ever guessed. Nancy had talked of her desire to see her family again, and I convinced her to meet a friend of mine, and that meeting was the very means of Nancy gaining what she wanted and needed so desperately. So now we're finally getting to why I wanted to share this story. Nancy and I were amazed at the whole way that this had come about. It seemed much too incredible to call a coincidence. But did we dare to believe that God might have been a work here? Well, yes, we did, even though we could hardly bring ourselves to say it out loud. What amazed us just as much as the experience itself was that we, of all people, would be so hesitant to attribute such a healing experience to the work of the Holy Spirit.
It didn't make any sense. We were seminarians. We went to at least six different worship services a week, sometimes two in the same day. We talked all the time about God's ongoing work in the world, about how the risen Christ was alive and active in the world, making all things new. But then when we actually experienced the very thing we talked about all the time, we could hardly believe it. We might have talked a different talk than Thomas in today's gospel, but truth be told, we were a lot more like him than we cared to admit. And it's understandable, really. We live almost 2,000 years after Christ. We, like Thomas, haven't seen the scars on his hands or felt the wound in his side. We haven't felt the breath of the Holy Spirit directly from his warm body. We proclaim that Christ is risen, but let us actually experience the risen Lord in our midst, and we are blown away. It's as if we're struck by the fact that what we say is true really is true. Maybe that's because the world we live in can still seem like a world of Good Fridays. We see evil. We hear of and experience tragedy. We are overwhelmed by the amount of sheer need all around us. It is all too easy to forget that we are Easter people. The story of Thomas in today's gospel was written for people just like us. The Gospel of John is thought by most scholars to have been written at the end of the first century, a couple of generations after the death of Jesus. So most or all of the original hearers of this Gospel hadn't personally seen the risen Christ. And here they were, Jewish Christians, undergoing a painful separation from their local synagogue and from Jewish society. It would be easy to lose faith. And it's to this community that Jesus speaks the words, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. In other words, keep believing. It may seem like Good Friday, but Easter really has come, and God is at work in the world. The communities for whom the book of Revelation was written also needed to hear this very same message. In today's New Testament reading, John of Patmos writes to the seven churches during a time of persecution. And the first thing he does is to remind them of Easter. Remind them of who the risen Christ is. The firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. The opening of this apocalyptic letter seems to say, yes, things may seem chaotic, dark, and messy, and you may be experiencing persecution and suffering, But the work of Easter has begun. What we see in our readings for today is that from the very beginning of the church, God's people have needed to be reminded now and then that we are Easter people. When Good Fridays seem to be all around us, we need to hear once more that Easter has come. We need glimpses of a Savior who breaks through all of our doubts and blindness, who comes and stands right where we are and says, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. We need those grace-filled experiences that open our eyes to the risen Christ in our midst, ones that remind us that we are Easter people living in a world where God is continuing to work and to move. 
rest assured, God never stops meeting us where we are. Resurrection experiences come to us again and again. The question is, when they do, will we dare to believe in Easter once more?